Thanks, Allison. We have two scripture readings for this morning's sermon. The first is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and then from 1 John chapter 4. But first, Deuteronomy. Listen to the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. And now 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Listen again to God's word. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever has to do with punishment, oh sorry, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was in college, and for a few years after college, I attended Trinity Presbyterian Church. No, not this Trinity Presbyterian Church, another Trinity Presbyterian Church in Tacoma, Washington. And oddly enough, at that time, the head of staff pastor at that church was Heidi Husted Armstrong, who some of you in this congregation may be very familiar with, 
She was associate pastor and senior pastor at this church 24 years ago to 20 years ago about that time. Um, but while I was in college, this is where I attended worship. Katie and I attended worship there. Both Katie and I didn't grow up in the church, and so we both were baptized as adults. And when Katie was going through the process of getting baptized, Heidi was her pastor, and so the two of us met with Heidi, and she explained kind of the ways in which she likes to go about doing baptisms with us. And Heidi said for her, one of the really theological important pieces of doing the sacrament of baptism was that she liked to have the questions of faith come after the baptism. So if you've ever seen a baptism here, sometimes you'll see that questions are asked first, like, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, you answer a few other questions, and then the baptism happens. But for Heidi, she really liked to highlight this concept of grace, that God is moving towards you, you receive it, and then we respond in faithfulness by making these kinds of commitments afterwards. It's not the other way around. So when Katie was baptized in this church, we were standing up on those steps. That's what happened. Heidi baptized her. We went through the service. And then because the baptism was so amazing and so incredible in a variety of ways, and there's a lot of energy in the sanctuary, Heidi actually just forgot to ask the questions to Katie at all. And I at the time was a seminarian, and I had to be this annoying graduate school student and said, Heidi, I think we're supposed to ask those really important questions after all, right? <laughs> She, she laughed. She was embarrassed that she totally forgot. Um, but it was interesting because the act was so profound, it was as if the questions had already been answered. It was really interesting just to see that. And it was so cool to see the way that she modeled and showed grace, which is this love that's extended by God. It's not reward-based, but it's just offered. It's held out gently and received. It's a gift. It's not a reward-based gift, but it's a gift. Not unto like this little thing here. It's a gift. And that's what the scripture is about today. It's about love. It's about grace. And I bet that's why everybody is here in this sanctuary or on the women's retreat this weekend. Because they've experienced that grace in their life, and maybe if they haven't experienced that grace, that's why they're here today too, because they need to hear that word that God is love and God loves you. So that's the scripture today. Let me tell us a few things about love. I want to tell a few things and do a couple of readings from different theologians to help us understand what love is all about and what grace is all about. In the biblical tradition, love is not an emotion. When you and I think of love Probably a lot of the times we think about positive feelings that we have for one another or for something. Perhaps it's a sports team, a book, a movie. We say things like, I love this or I love that or I love the 49ers, but that's probably pretty hard to love right now. <laughs> no offense to my 49ers fans. But those, th th that's the way in which we speak about love. The biblical tradition is really different, though. It's really different. For the biblical tradition, love is action. Love is not often an emotion, it's an action. Let me explain. The Deuteronomy passage I read to you all is part of a rich tradition of the Hebrew scriptures, and there's a couple of words that are used in Hebrew to talk about love, which is what Deuteronomy talks about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the word that's used there is to talk about this concept of covenant relationship. 
that God is moving towards humanity, and that movement in and of itself is love. So when they speak about making their way out of Egypt, that is love for them, that God helped them and gave them a way out of Egypt. That's love. It's not necessarily positive emotions between God and God's people, but it's that there's action associated with it. So in the third century, sorry, I'm going to go back a little bit so I can share a little bit more information about what love is. In the third century, after Alexander the Great conquered the Mediterranean world, Greek culture took over, and that became the common language of the people throughout the Mediterranean. And 70 scholars gathered together in Alexandria, Egypt, to translate the Hebrew scriptures into Greek so that people could read it and it could be read out loud and they could continue to study it in Greek instead of just in Hebrew. And when it came to this Deuteronomy passage, they had a variety of options to translate it from love into love. In the Greek language, there's four words for love. Maybe you all have heard this before, but there's phileo, which means brotherly love. It's like the city of Philadelphia means brotherly love, literally in Greek. There's another word called eros, which is a word we use to describe human romantic relationships sometimes. There's also this other word, storge. I can't remember exactly what it means. It's kind of hard to translate. And the fourth one is agape. Agape in the third century had no, no meaning. It was kind of like this loosely used word in classical literature at that time that nobody used it. It had no meaning. And so the biblical writers and the translators in the third century decided to use this word to talk about covenant relationship between God and humanity and use this word to describe it as love. And so now, here we are in this passage in John, and something similar is taking place. Except it's not just covenant relationship now, it's the fulfillment of covenant by Jesus. The word agape shows up like 20 times in those few verses I read. It's over and over and over and over and over again. John wants these churches and the hearers of this letter to remind themselves, whenever they think of love, to be transformed by the work of Jesus Christ, instead of just by what's going on in the culture around them. They're to be shaped by Jesus. Here, I'm going to share a few more readings about what some theologians and scholars have to say about what love is. Uh, this one is one of my favorite scholars. His name is Karl Barth. He was a famous theologian in the 20th century and was also a Reformed Christian. This is what he says, and this is pretty heavy theological language, but I think it's poetic and it's beautiful. This is what Barth says. He says, The object of this covenant event and in it the perfect love which, which unites man with God and God with man, that's Jesus. In this love there's no fear. This perfect love drives out fear because in it God loved humanity for his own sake and humanity loved God for his own sake. What took place on both sides was not a need, a wish, and desire, but simply the freedom to exist for one another gratis. This was God's own primal freedom for humanity and at the same time humanity's freedom which was granted him by God. This was agape, which descends from above and by the power of this descent, simultaneously ascends from below. Agape is both movements in equal sovereignty, or rather, this single movement. So what he's trying to say here, and the title of the sermon is Primal Freedom. 
I love that short phrase. When we think primal, we think maybe animal or something like that. But if you look it up in the English dictionary, it means kind of first instinct. What's your primary thought when you think about something or someone? And so in the freedom that God has given us, what is that primary freedom? For God, it's to move towards humanity. It's grace. It's like that baptism where it's just kind of held out there. It's grace. That's God's primary freedom. In his own freedom, that is what God is doing. Okay, I have one more quote I want to share from another theologian, another favorite of mine. This is uh, C.S. Lewis, and if you're intrigued by this conversation thus far, there's a book called The Four Loves, where Lewis talks about all four of these loves. This is what Lewis says. God is love, says St. John. When I first tried to write this book, I thought his maxim would provide me with a very plain high road through the whole subject. I thought I should be able to say that human love deserved to be called loves at all, just insofar as they resembled that love which is God. The first distinction I made was therefore between what I called gift love and need love. The typical example of gift love would be that love which moves a man or a woman to work and plan and save for the future well-being of his or her own family, which he or she will die without sharing or seeing. Of the second, that which sends a lonely or frightened child to its parents' arms. There is no doubt which was more like love himself. Divine love is gift love. And the father gives all that he is and has to the son. I love that concept of mutual self-giving as love. So when we hear these words in, in the letter of John, it's about that gift that's held out. It's held out. One of the interesting things about this letter that John writes, which is different than Paul, if you read some of the Apostle Paul's letters, Paul always has a really concrete idea in mind and writes to a concrete congregation. So it's Ephesians or Romans, Galatians. He's thinking about a particular church. In John, it feels different. It feels like he's writing to everyone. And therefore, by writing to everyone, he feels this need to be as general as possible. And so he speaks broadly about all of these things. And yet, I wonder, while he's writing this letter, what he imagines his audience is wrestling with. Because he talks about, you need to know that love is from God. And that if you hate your brother and your sister, you can't know God. So I always wondered what in, what in John's mind was he thinking about when he wrote those two things. And the more that we're in these texts, I think it should evoke for us in our own imagination stories and ideas about what love is and what love is not. And so I want to share a few stories. All month long, this October, with the high school ministry and the high school students, we've been doing this thing called Sticky Adventures which is this program where we kind of have a youth group at the beginning of the month and at the end of the month, parents are involved, we played games, we had meals together, we had a guest speaker. And then all month long we've been sent out doing a variety of different things around the community and different mission projects. One of those mission projects uh, took place last week on Friday night in San Francisco. It's called San Francisco Night Ministry. You can see the picture right there a little bit. And we... San Francisco Night Ministry is amazing. For the last 40 years, a pastor every day of the week has been walking out in the Tenderloin from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. in the morning offering pastoral care to people. 
is just is unbelievable. We met with Lyle Beckman. There was three teenagers, two parents, and me. We met with the pastor that night. Uh, his name was Lyle. And he shared some information with us about what was going on in San Francisco and all the interesting things that were taking place. And we walked around the Tenderloin from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. on a Friday night. And this is what he told us to do. He said, when we go around on the walk tonight, be compassionate and non-judgmental. Be compassionate and non-judgmental. And when you hear that, you think, okay, that's easy enough, right? Um, But as we began our walk, Lyle wore a collar, so it was really easy to tell who he was and that he was a pastor. And so people came up to us and talked to us and engaged us in conversation. And I could tell it was challenging for all of us to be non-judgmental. And just having spent time with high school students, it's a world of judgmentalism, isn't it? Right? I mean, and you can't, it's quantifiable too. I got a 95 on my test, I got a 90. Or I have a 4.3 GPA because I'm in IB and AP classes and you're not. And you can only get a 4.0. You know, all of this stuff. The world of high school is all about, in some sense, judgment. And so it was challenging to just stand there and listen to people tell their stories about all sorts of things. And to not have judgment about who that person was, but to just listen to pay attention to what was going on in their life. I thought that was profoundly like biblical love to me. It was a gift to just listen to people, to be compassionate, and to be non-judgmental. Now, I'm not saying everybody should go out and start walking the streets of San Francisco right now, but it was, it was a fascinating experience, and I hope it was for the high school students and the parents that got to go there, because God was so present in the midst of that loving our brothers and our sisters on the streets of San Francisco that night. The youth ministry is doing all sorts of really amazing, fascinating things. But we also have to say what love is not. We have to say what love isn't and call out where we see hate, hate of brothers and sisters. I've been reading this, this, uh, this book, First John, every day for the last few weeks as a part of us trying to get into the word more. And so I've read this chapter over and over and over and over and over again. And it's interesting, when you do that, then you begin to see love and see hate more often as you look at the world. And I just want to preface this by saying, I'm going to talk about something that's come up in our political world, but I am not trying to make this political or politicizing in a sermon. That's not what I want to do. It's just that my own awareness about hate speech has been more enlightened as I've gotten into the word. It's informed what I see going on in the world. Earlier this week, I was having a cup of coffee watching the news, and this news broadcaster said they were really, really sad uh, about what was going on in the presidential debates because they felt like when they were in middle school, one of their homework assignments was to watch the presidential debates. But she was really depressed because the content of those debates seemed wholly inappropriate for a middle school student and a high school student. And she even said, I don't think any middle schoolers or high schoolers should be watching the presidential debates right now. I thought that was a really interesting commentary. And the reason why she was saying that was because of um, the video that came out about Donald Trump and what he was saying on that bus that day about sexual abuse and that he used his own power and his own celebrity to abuse other people. 
And ever since I heard that comment and I watched that video, I've been doing some more research. I've been doing some more research on that. And I want to share a few nuggets of that research I learned. The American Psychological Association says that one in six boys will be sexually abused by the time they turn 18. One in four girls will be abused by the time they're 18. And that almost 40% of those cases will take place by the time they're 13. 13. It just blew my mind. And I thought, we have to know what hate is and what love is not. As a society, as a nation, as Christians, we have to really be clear about this. That that is not a loving action. And love is action. And there are actions that are not loving. This has to change in our society and our nation, and we have to talk about it. That's what I love about this Deuteronomy passage. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. This is the time in which, for us, we should be having conversations about this. Talking about it with children, talking about it with teenagers, so that we can learn what's right, but then also to create a safe space. So that if anything were ever happened to any of God's beloved children, they would know they're loved and that there would be a space for them to receive care. This is where we got to go as a country and as a society. To be shaped by the love that God shows us what love is. At the end of my wife's baptism back in that church in Tacoma, I had one of the most powerful experiences of love I've ever, I've ever known. Heidi had one more piece of advice for us that day, which was when we baptize people to not treat adults any differently than infants. So sometimes during infant baptism, after the baptism happens, uh, pastors will walk infants down the aisle and then come back and people can greet them and say hi to them and shake their hand and, you know, get to look at the newest member of the congregation. So Heidi said, we're going to do the exact same thing. I'm not going to treat you any differently. I'm going to treat you like an adult. Or not like an adult. I'm going to treat you like an infant. <clears throat> and so she did. After the baptism, Heidi walked Katie and I down the aisle and around the congregation. And people shook our hands. They hugged us. They cried because they just witnessed and saw somebody receiving that gift of grace and how it transformed their life and how they were a part of it now and they were loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, actually. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So with that, God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for the way he loves us, for his movement and freedom to love humanity. And so, God, we pray that our hearts would be transformed by him to be more like him, to be more loving, to care for our brothers and sisters, and to care for the children and the teenagers of this world. 
and to love them because you love them profoundly, God. So help us all as a people be more loving like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.